Welcome to another exciting episode. Hey everybody, this is Adam P. Murphy, and this is another episode of my wonderful podcast. And for your listening pleasure today, I have a friend of mine who is a musician, an actor, and an activist, and uh, she has an incredible story to share, so uh, I'm happy to have her today. Uh, her name is Colette McClafferty. Say hello. Hello, hello. Also, I wrote a book. She wrote a book. She <laughs> did I did I say actor and you I was supposed actor. to say author. You're supposed to say author, I guess. Yeah, I'm... I guess so. But I, I know you like I dabble in acting. Because we worked on a movie yeah. together. So uh, yeah. Put was, on some skates and rolled we, around. We slept high on uh, the same floors, you know, we for did. art. Because uh, sometimes that's where you gotta do you gotta do. Right? That was strangely the most fun summer I've ever had was like sleeping on that decrepit uh, mattress that like that half blown up mattress with all the spiders and like 60 people in one oh, bathroom yeah. spiders we had spiders this was uh this was Niagara Falls and we were Niagara working on uh, traumas return to Newcomb High uh, which became volume one and volume two in the long run it's been a few years since that happened and a yes. lot has happened to you. Oh, yes. You've gone through quite an ordeal. You don't say. And you came out... Uh, <laughs> relatively, relatively okay. Relatively on top. Relatively unscathed. Maybe <laughs> yeah. a few more battle scars <laughs> along the way. Yes. Uh, so give us a little quick, like, how what happened? Yeah. How did it happen? How broadsided <laughs> were you by it? And where did your mind first go? Okay. So for everybody out there listening, we all know the artist Pink correct of course um so i was working at this point i was working full-time as a session singer i was singing on commercials i was singing in five bands very busy very happy with my life um things were going great uh paying my rent eating three meals a day from singing it was awesome i get this call to sing in a pink cover band i have this feeling not to do it something says don't do it but i'm like you know what it's on a Tuesday. Um, I'm not booked on Tuesday. It pays $75 in cash. Why not? Because at any particular time, I would rather be working than not working. I'd rather be singing than not singing. Of course. Still, I had that gut feeling. So I go do it, and I find out at rehearsal that the man who hired me for the gig has had a bad falling out with his former drummer. Oh, boy. And he's like... He threw me to the wolves. It was like very dramatic, okay? And so I'm like, okay, something bad is going to happen. But I ha I didn't think it was going to happen with the other guy. I thought it was going to happen with the guy who hired me. That just something really, I don't know, awkward or just, I was like, I got to get out of I this. I think it would just fall apart. Like, it just wouldn't work out. I was, you know, 90% of bands fall apart. Of course. So I was kind of counting on this one. I was and like, okay, it's going to fall apart. you've been at this game for a long time, right? Yeah. And so you've seen oh, yeah. it all happen. But the thing is that his or band... Thought, or so you thought. Or so <laughs> I thought. Or so I thought. Um, the funny thing is that the band that he put together was awesome. They were great. And that's probably why I stayed as long as I did. So I decided I'm going to do one show. And then I'm going to peace out, right? So... At rehearsal for the one show, we're rehearsing, things are going great, and I'm like, oh, this is going way too smooth. I actually said that. Oh. I actually said, don't ever say Kiss that at rehearsal. Right, right. Don't ever say that at rehearsal. Cause... Murphy's Law. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, as I said that, this guy comes in with three stacks of paper, and first he goes up to um, the guy that hired me, 
and I'm di- I'm like, oh my god, this guy's getting sued. This like, and we're all dying laughing. We think it's hysterical because the drummer who's pissed off at this guy is a personal injury lawyer. So we just think it's really funny. Then he goes to this other guy, John, and gives him a stack of paper. I was like, this is unreal. Oh my god. Then the process server comes up to me and hands me this huge stack of paper, and it's 112 pages long. And I was like, wait, what? I'm getting sued for this? You know, I'm a session singer. I This is not my band. I'm basically loaning my vocals until, you know, so yeah, they right. can find like the permanent singer. And I've only agreed <laughs> to do one gig. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I was just, I, I was so um, numb and flabbergasted. And I'm just thinking, the courts are not going to take this seriously. Right. It's a joke, right? This it's is a, a joke. joke. Right? And I can swear on this podcast. Sure. Okay. So I'm like, fuck this guy. Sure. <laughs> like, who? Like, I've Thank never you for met asking, him. by the way. Um, you're welcome. Obviously, um, haven't heard any of the episodes before this. That's fun. I'm no, kidding. I have. I'm yeah, no. no I my have. first one was clean. My second the one first was one, not. I heard the first my one. The second one was not clean. <laughs> I didn't hear the second one. I heard the first one. It was very clean. That's why I asked. Um, That's kind of up to the, the guest. Okay, well, fuckity fuck, yeah, exactly. fuck, fuck. You're going to hear a lot of that. I, know, <laughs> I, I met you when you were uh, slanging suds in a dive bar. So That's I assume true. you know how to yeah. curse pretty oh, well. Oh, <laughs> God, I, I curse like a sailor. Um, so I was like, fuck this guy. There's no way the courts could take this seriously. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to perform. I'm not going to let this guy stop me from performing. Like, screw that. He doesn't, he, this guy has no. Um, intellectual property rights. He has no actual uh, connection to Pink. So I'm reading the lawsuit as I'm going home. It's 112 pages long. And it's talking about how I conspired to steal his band from him while he was getting shoulder surgery. And that um, I was accused of conspiracy for fraud, torturous interference, um, Breach of contract. So there was 13 allegations against me specifically and 42 allegations against the three of us. However, it was mostly between the guy who hired me and the guy who sued me. And the reason why their breakup happened was because the guy who hired me got investigated for elder fraud by Chase Bank. And so... That had something to do with their breakup, and that had to do with why they split up into two competing pink cover bands, which I had no idea that the other guy even had a pink cover band. So, bad news. I find out from, I I had a real estate lawyer because I was in the middle of a real estate deal that was going to bring me quite a bit of money. And I said to my real estate lawyer, I said, hey, Martin, this is going to sound really weird, but I just got sued for $10 million yesterday. Um, Should we? (laughs) I I was like, should we? uh, Do I have to, you know, get that over with before we do our deal? And he's like, well, you can't take it. You can't take this deal while you're in litigation. Because he's like, if you lose this case, you're going to lose your money. And you're going to lose your apartment. Mm. So I was in the middle of a buyout deal. And um, I was like, okay. So, and he's like, let me take a look at it. So he takes a look at it. He calls me back the next day. And he's trying to hold in his laughter. This is Martin, my lawyer. 
he is being very professional, but I could tell that like he wants, and finally he just laughs and he can't stop laughing. And he's like hyperventilating because it's the funniest thing he's ever seen in his life. <laughs> and he's like, um, you know, let me call this guy. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. So he calls him. So the guy who sued me, his name's Chuck. I'm going to say his name because he deserves to have his name said. So he calls up Chuck and Chuck is furious. Chuck seems to think that I'm the other guy's girlfriend, that I was like in on this, that I was really trying to steal his band from him. And Martin, and Martin my lawyer, even quizzed me extensively to make sure that I didn't, you know, that I was truly an innocent party. Right. He's like, well, why? He sides with you. Yeah. He was like, why you did you real? rehearse there? Like, he wanted to make sure that I wasn't actually trying to screw this guy over. I was like, no, I got a call from someone I haven't seen in seven years and that I only met one time. Um, so Chuck ended up threatening me with a second lawsuit and basically said um, she needs to keep her mouth shut. You know, if she thinks getting sued once is inconvenient, my guess is that she'll certainly hate a second lawsuit for defamation of character. This was before I went to the press. Wow. So I'm in a situation where there's no way out of this. I can't get out. I'm living in construction in my apartment in the Lower East Side. I'm supposed to be getting a big check from my landlord so I can move out of that apartment and start over somewhere else. So I asked Martin, I said, hey, do you think I should call the press? He said, definitely. Um, if you, we both agreed that if we got the lawsuit in a paper, it didn't matter which paper, just any paper, he's going to drop it. So I start calling different media outlets. I'm tweeting people. I'm messaging people. I really didn't want to contact the New York Post, but it gotten to the point where I'd been living in construction and I had to get out of there. So I called the New York Post. I had a couple glasses of wine. It was like 1030 <laughs> at night. My goal is just to leave a quick message because I really didn't want them to be the ones to break the story. But I was like, but I just got to get this story out. So, of course, I call the New York Post. There is this guy, a copy boy, who just happens to be sitting at the front desk uh, eating lunch. He picks up the call. I talk to him for about an hour. I send over the lawsuit. The next day, I'm talking to the reporters for a couple days. And they're asking me about the two men, um, their fight, their feud, uh, the elder fraud investigation, all this stuff with Chase Bank. They're mostly interviewing me about these two men, which makes sense because the case was really between those two. And even my lawyer said it was obvious. He's like, it's obvious you just got dragged into like this fight between these two guys. Then they said, how did you feel when he called you unattractive? So just to let you know, if you read the 112-page complaint, which it's very easy to find online, he insults all three of us a lot. Um, he called Rick, that's the guy who hired me, a sleazy crony. He said the other guy looked like a plumber. And then he just said... lovely, lovely people. Hey, my dad's a plumber, so... Like, <laughs> Like, why is that a bad thing? I resemble that remark. <laughs> um, and then he says that I'm not attractive enough to be in a pink cover band and that I was a lousy singer and that I sang flat for an entire verse. <sighs> now, it's really just one page, and it's a very small ingredient of a broad, 
the, the real issue is the fact that this elder fraud investigation happened and it caused them to split off. That's the real issue. Um, so I'm talking to the journalists. How do you feel when he called you unattractive? I don't care is what I said. Um, that's not the focus. That's not what we should be focusing on. That doesn't matter. They kept coming back to that question and trying to find different ways to, they kept calling me back. And then I realized, okay, they're going to make an issue of it, but, you know, hopefully it'll just be um, a portion of the story. And never, and they also knew, the New York Post knew that my age was not an issue at all because they knew that the guy who sued me didn't know how old I was. Like I even said, I don't think he knew he was messing with a 40-year-old woman. Mm. And they said, oh, yeah, he probably thought you were some kid. Mm -hmm. So they knew that. So I remember I called my friend Barbara. I was like, okay, you get the paper. Tell me how bad it is on a scale of one to 10. If it's like a five or above, like I'm just not going to read it. <laughs> and I assumed that it was going to, that the article was going to focus on the two guys because that's, it should have. I open up the newspaper on page three. Dun, dun, dun. And I see. Pink's picture, and then there's like this picture of an older lady next to Pink. And I was like, oh, who is that? I was like, oh, that's me. And the headline is Singer Sued for Being Too Old and Too Ugly for Pink Cover Band. Gotta love the post. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, um, okay, well, it's the New York Post. Everybody knows that paper's trash. <laughs> <laughs> and they love it. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it's funny because the New York Post feels so outdated to me these days. Yeah, um, it seems like a throwback to like the 80s or something. <laughs> like it's a, it, it does. How is it still around? Like, yeah. How, how are we still? Well, I know that um, we're sales, tabloid society. sales of the Post have gone down quite a bit since, um, since all of this has happened. Um, so I'm like, okay, um, this will just be out for a couple days. I'll get a few phone calls. It's going to go away. Nope. It goes viral worldwide. Viral. Yahoo News. Perez Hilton. Time, which you, uh, you're the one that posted the Time article on my Facebook page, <laughs> which Oops. is in my book, Confessions of a Bad Ugly Singer. Um, so it was just so crazy. I'm just saying Yahoo News, CBS Radio. My friend said that... Uh, a friend of hers was just driving, listening to a country station, and all of a sudden, like, the breaking news came in, and that was like, singer gets sued for being too unattractive for a cover band. Like, the, the story is truly everywhere. It's huge for about three days. After those three days, it dies down. And, um, but during those three days, like, reporters are, like, digging up photos of me. They want interviews. A couple radio stations played my music, which was pretty great. Um, so I was like, okay, well, maybe this could turn into something positive. But then after three days, it completely dies. Nobody cares anymore. There's new viral stories going on. And my internet reputation destroyed. If you look up my name... It's just headline after headline. Um, there was a headline by Mass Appeal. And their headline literally said, Colette McClafferty, there's a price for being too old and too ugly. Um, Finelaw.com, which was a legal publication, 
Pink cover ban ruined by bad, ugly singer. $10 million lawsuit reports. Um, Colette McClafferty sued for ruining Charles Bonfante's pink cover ban. So there are all, all these different media outlets that you think have their own voice and their own point of view are just mindlessly regurgitating the New York Post article. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like people don't expect time to report the wrong thing. And so I started reaching out to reporters to be like, hey, you got it wrong. They didn't care. They didn't care at all. They're like, oh, what's your number? I'll call you. Because you're actually, to them, you're nobody. Yeah. Um, you're, well, they're, they're pumping You're out. just a prop to sell more. Exactly. Ad space, whatever. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. My story made them money for three days. They got their clicks. Um, they got their little ad revenue, ad sense or whatever. Um, and then they were done with me. They were on to the next thing. Craziness. It was the sexy mugshot criminal stole my thunder. But it didn't end there. He was, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So at this point, like I said, I'm, I'm working full time as a singer. Um, I felt a very strong need to speak out. As long as I was in litigation, I was not going to shut up. So um, Chuck, the guy, he actually did want to drop it. It was a couple of hours after the New York Post article hit. He called up my lawyer. He made up some excuse as to why he wanted to, like, let me out of the case. And my lawyer calls me, and, he, and I'm like, okay, this is amazing. And I was like, I'll take my money. I'll move out of my apartment. Um, and then I'm going to clean up these headlines. You know, I'm going to get the real story out there because this is bullshit. I'm not going to just sit back and, like, let let myself be defamed. Um he drafted up non-disclosure papers for me to sign, mm. saying that I would never speak about it again and I would never talk to the media. I wouldn't post about it on social media. So my first question was, how much is he paying me? Right. Like, I'm thinking... How of, much hush money are you giving me? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking a minimum of six figures. Um, that, that was my minimum in my head. So the offer was nothing. He was offering to just drop the case that he had no business filing against me in the first place. So I said, okay, well, he's going to pay my legal fees, so let's start there. And then he should make an offer, and I'll see if I'm comfortable with it. Do you want to hear what his counter offer was? Yeah. I do. To pay half of my legal fees. <laughs> so we were going, at that point, my legal fees were $3,200. So he really thought that I should split the cost of a lawsuit that he had no business filing that led to my entire reputation being destroyed on the internet and that I should never speak about it again and that I should pay $1,600 for that. So I was like, fuck this. I started a blog. Like, I, mean, I started... the guy's backing himself up against the ropes at that point. It's like, oh, yeah. oh no, I see yeah. that I have the power. Yeah, so um, the power dynamic did change quite a bit at that point. Um, also, when you lose, like, I was at the point where I was starting to lose everything. So when you're starting to lose everything, you don't give a fuck. Mm. So now, not only I can't take my buyout, now 
I have to live in construction because this guy interrupted it with a $10 million lawsuit. I cannot accept his terms and conditions of getting out of the lawsuit because his terms and conditions are unacceptable. Hmm. So I have to keep going. Um, the case took me two years to fight. Um, and in the process, I was trying to get real media out there. So I started talking to smaller outlets so we could talk about the real story because none of the commercial uh, outlets, with the exception of um, Daily News in Philadelphia, did a really good job uh, telling some of the real story. Huffington Post did a good job of telling some of the real story. But almost everybody wanted to tell this story about this girl who got sued for being too old and too ugly. That story is a myth. That story never happened. Right. That's the popular version. That's the popular version. So I had to go the unpopular route. <laughs> you know, I started a blog. Um, I started a blog and I did um, like an analysis on different papers who wrote about me. And I did profiles on their journalists. Like, And I would talk about what they got right, what they got wrong. Mm. Um, and that was very a lot more underground. But at least I was getting the real story out there. Um, I started working with the Lawsuit Reform Alliance of New York to introduce anti-abuse legislation in Albany. Um, it did not pass, but we did get pretty far. We got five assembly members to sign it. Um, but we had the trial lawyers lobby blocking us because frivolous lawsuits actually clog up the court system, which is good for business. Mm. If our legal system were to run the way it's supposed to run... Efficiently. A lot of people would be out of money. Uh, so this lawyer, he was able to drag it on for two years. And it got to the point where I did eventually get my buyout when it looked like, when it looked like okay, this guy is definitely not winning the case. I was able to take the buyout, but by the time I did, it lost two-thirds of its value... And then a lot of my money just went to legal fees. So um, I had to, at the end of the day, I had to give up that apartment just to fight the case. And then I ended up in Bushwick. But I did write. <laughs> I, Which isn't the worst place. I love world. Bushwick, actually. <laughs> Those who don't know Bushwick, it's actually uh, pretty trendy. But yeah, I, uh, I, and I didn't even meet the guy until it was over two years later. I'm in court. Um, this was when the case finally got dropped. And as part of the countersuit, we had a uh, hearing to discuss his conduct as a lawyer and to see if there would be any penalties. So I got all my legal fees back. And then I'm waiting to see what else the judge is going to do. He did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. Nothing. And he said, oh, well, you know, it seems like you guys worked it out. Um, first of all, I don't consider just getting my legal fees back uh, anywhere near enough, to be honest. But I did settle for it because if, like, let's say if I had not settled for it and the judge still would have given nothing, I would have been out. I would have just been out $15,000. So I got it back, but it, I, I had to pay it first and it took me two years. So and at one point, did you start thinking about 
writing a book? Pretty quickly. Like, as it was happening, when things were going viral, um, people were like, you have to write a book about this. So that's when I started. But if, if you read, like, the first couple of drafts of the book, it's just me bitching, being like, <laughs> fuck this guy. He's such an asshole. This is bullshit. Fuck that journalist. It's just me ranting, trying well, to make what sense of it. first drafts are for. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I actually, I had to throw my first draft out. Like, I, I have it online, like, in a secret space. But um, I read it, and I was like, wow, this is the work of a... I mean, I did lose my mind for a little while. Yeah, now they're going to call me crazy, and they'll have a case. <laughs> yeah, well, part of it was... Uh, but that's what you, you turn people into, uh, part crazy of it people, w- when you abuse yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, it really was slow abuse and torture for two years, via the legal system and via a man I had never met. It's incredible to me that you can kind of just kind of look back and talk about it objectively. I have when to. The, 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 the severity of it is, is not it's to be made light of, insane. especially the what's out there on the internet. That's never going to, you can't sponge the internet clean. Like that's no. your name for eternity is associated with this. Absolutely. Completely yeah. fabricated frivolous mm-hmm. nonsense. And you know what was interesting? A lot of people were like, "Well, you should just change change your name." And I was like, "And then you lose your name. You give up your, if you give up your name, you give up everything." Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You don't want to do that. I am so happy to hear somebody say that. There's a play Arthur Miller of you from the bridge. Okay. The lead character. He's like he's the patriarch, and he's just he's kind of losing his mind, and he's yeah. he's rambling, he's ranting, drunk. He's like, "I want my name." Give me back my name. Like, that's all he has left in the world. That's how I felt. You know, I I thought it was completely ridiculous and unreasonable that I should have to change my name and start all over again to accommodate this situation that had no business happening in the first place. No. <laughs> you know? Um, so you're still, you're still getting a lot of interviews. People are still coming... To you yeah. or there is uh, how, how um, yeah, like where, where is this? Uh, where are we with this right now? Where, what are, where is this going? What's sure. the future of this? Is this something you're going to have to talk about forever or is it going to be a point where you move on? You know? Well, I think it has to be a little bit of both. You know, obviously sure. I can't revolve my entire identity around this forever because that's going to get boring um i mean there were people on facebook that were like dude shut up about this like, there were people <laughs> in front of me this isn't fair because they haven't gone fair. through anything like it so they don't know what totally it's like totally fair um so there is a part of me that has to obviously move on from this but then there's another part of me that feels that now talking about this is a big part of my life's work because there's a few things that we need to discuss. One, we need to discuss the state of our legal system mm-hmm. because the state of our legal system currently is unacceptable. And the fact that you can just take an innocent person either on the civil side or the criminal side and destroy their lives just yes. because you want to is no, unacceptable. They're, they're destroyed by the fight. Uh, Absolutely. That has nothing to do with innocence or guilt. Exactly. Exactly. And also just the, the loss of time, the loss of income, the, um, the fact the that... The stress. The stress. Um, there was a point where my entire body was covered in rashes and I couldn't lift my arm above a 90 degree angle 
that's how stressed out my body was. But then from people this. will ask you politely, can you please stop talking about that? Exactly. I'll stop talking when you start listening. So, <laughs> or, or I was like, look, if you need to unfriend me, if you need to block me, sure. I get it. Sure. I totally get it. And yes, there is a point where you have to stop being angry and you have to. Um, but you also have to move through the stages of grief, you know, denial, grief, well, anger. Right, right. All of that. Because they don't go away otherwise. Absolutely. Uh, wait, what did you say? If you don't roll with it, it'll roll Well, you if over. you don't roll with things, they roll over you. Exactly. There you go. Um, so I feel like until I see some change in the legal system that honors what I went through and what other people have went through, then I'll shut up about this. But... Yeah. So there's that. But there's an, and people need to know Pe- that they, people need that to they know. have rights. That they, people need to know. You know, because uh, somebody else might not, that, that encounters something like that, might not have the strength that you have. Exactly. And you the d- support network and the, you know, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the absolute, um, you know, knowledge that they are, that it is not their fault. 1,000%. Because they will always want to tell you, it's your fault. You did it. You're yeah. bad. You're ugly. You're whatever. And yeah. then you, you can start to internalize all that or you can just keep pushing it off. It's not true. None of this is true. Um, you know, it's funny. That's what you're saying is very much um, on par with what my second lawyer, Stephen Dykey, said. He said, you're demonstrating to people that it's okay to stand up. Instead of just cowering in a corner and being scared of this mm-hmm. big, scary lawyer... He said, you know, you're standing up and you're demonstrating that it's okay to fight back. He was 1,000% supportive of my blog. He read my blog, like almost all of it for the two years. And he was supportive because um, he agreed. He said, there's there's no excuse for this case being in the system. Um, on the day that I went to court and there's a picture of me in front of court, that was my lawyer taking the pictures <laughs> He was so supportive of me talking about it on social media because this needs to be talked about. Sure. So it is a part of my life's work. And then on the flip side, we also need to talk about the way we treat women in the media because that shit's disgusting. Come on. That headline from the New York Post, are you serious? Here's the thing. I truly believe that if Pink Tribute Gate had happened in 2019... I don't think that headline would have happened because the culture has changed so much. Um, so we have to look at the fact that the New York Post took something that was not an issue, which was my age, and they made it an issue. Mm. So we need to talk about that. We need to talk about the fact that there are, um, there are people working at magazines whose job it is to circle cellulite around a woman's thigh and put an arrow and like a little caption like, ew, disgusting beach body, you know, that should not be anybody's job. That's a job that needs to be eradicated. I don't want them to be homeless without a job. I want them to go get a different job. But we should not be putting money into this. Um, you know, this is, if, if you look at the way the media treated me, this is where... Well, the way they do, like they add in the ageism element yes. uh, in order to to kind of pretend to be speaking out against it. But they're the ones who create it. They so created it's like it, yeah. ageism is so wrong, isn't it? Like who was talking about ageism before you just brought it up? You know, that's really interesting. I never thought about it that way. And that is very interesting. So there are people that have said, 
while the New York Post's coverage of it seemed sympathetic towards you. And I was like, okay, that might be the case, but they took something that wasn't there. Right. And they, they highlighted an issue that wasn't an issue. I'm five years older than Pink. That's ridiculous. Yes. You're not 50 or 60 or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But even and if you I, can sing, <laughs> I know that's like uh, there. There was this one news program. It was called a Rise Exchange, and uh, the TV the host is saying, "Yeah, she got sued for being too old and too ugly," and you can hear the whole crew laughing. And of course, it's all men, not to be sexist, but <laughs> it's all men. And I'm like, "How on earth do you think this is funny?" Well, it's the absurdity of it. So true, they magnify true, true, the absurdity true. of it because then, it is absurd. And then he said, like, they show a picture of me, but the picture's really small, so you can't see me on the screen. And then he's like, and she can't carry a tune. And that just blew my mind because it was my voice was paying my rent and <laughs> feeding me. Um, so it was just so weird to see, like... And now suddenly you found yourself having a much harder time getting work oh yeah so it used to be like um back in the day if i saw something on craigslist like hey we need to hire a singer to sing a pop song you know i would answer the ad they would check out my credentials and prior to the lawsuit if you checked out my credentials you saw that i had a record deal you saw that i was an mtv buzzweed worthy artist um you saw that I was featured on like VH1.com, RollingStone.com. Like I had really good, solid credentials. So I booked things very easily sure. before this happened. Because Google search yeah, was all thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. Like if you're trying to choose between one singer or a couple of singers or a few singers, that might all be great. If one has the credentials, they're going to get the right, job. right. And that was where my career was at at the time. And then all of a sudden, once the Bad Ugly Singer thing happened, I saw about a 90% drop as far as like just being able to book new work. And then with the current, with the bands that I was in, um, there were some projects that said, hey, if you're going to be in our project, we can't have you talking about the lawsuit publicly. And... I was like, okay, I can't be in your project, like, because we have to talk about this. Yeah, they always want you to suppress uh, yeah. the things that aren't that don't fit I'll their narrative, their their picture mm -hmm. of you. There's somebody sent me this thing yesterday. Like, there's a big issue with like actors uh, losing jobs because um, their social media isn't like squeaky clean. Yeah, and I'm like, well, what's more important to you, your brand and your voice in the world, or you? Mm -hmm. being, you know, Disneyfied. You know, like, are you just a mouthpiece for somebody other's corporate agenda or are you your own mouthpiece? That, that's a decision that every artist yep. has to make. And I think we're moving, I think we're moving towards an era where we are becoming more of our own voices instead of trying so well, hard we to have, fit. Yeah. This is proof positive right here. A yeah. podcast. You have the you have your phone. You have, you can put your voice out into the world at any given moment, at any given day and be seen by uh, one or a million people. Yeah. We don't know. Absolutely. And so if you're putting yourself out there, you want to put out the truth of you know what I mean? Of you want to or, or the the purest uh whether it's purely you or purely a a character or you know purely a 
a talent, you know, like whatever mm-hmm. talent you're giving the world, it should be like your version of it. Exactly. Your version of what this should be. Not like what I think these other people are going to want from me. And I, I feel like people want that authenticity more than they want the dumbed down corporate version these days. You don't, maybe like if, not if everybody. They go, well, you can't, sing, you're terrible <laughs> at singing pink songs. And then the next day you do a concert where you nail every pink song. It's like, do you see how your argument is? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, just the... Um, you got to talk louder than the trolls sometimes. Exactly. And I didn't... I just didn't feel like it was right for me to change my name and stay silent. So, so yeah, I guess these issues, I'm very passionate about them. Um, I'm, I'm really passionate about ageism in the music industry. I don't think it's okay. Um, I don't think it's okay to tell... Like, look, if you if you don't want to listen to someone's music because they're a certain age or you don't want to hire them because they're a certain age, that's fine. But is it okay for you to get in their face and say, look, your window's closing? No, that's not fine. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, music is a real job for a lot of people, and a lot of those people are 30s, 40s, 50s, sure. 60s, Especially if you're doing a lot of your work in the studio, who cares what your age is? Yeah. but (laughs) You can sing, you can sing. You can do the part, you can do the part. You know, it's really interesting, too, because when I was growing up, this extreme ageism was not a thing. You know, we had singers like Bonnie Tyler, who was in her 40s, and Pat Benatar and Tina Turner. And then it kind of took a back turn when um, teen pop became very big. And then all of a sudden, women who were in that age range started getting age shamed just for existing and doing their jobs. And that was something that a lot of people wrote into me about. Um, one singer who was like a total powerhouse, she said something about daring to exist, how some people in the industry treated her for daring to exist at her age and singing. And I just feel that's unacceptable. So <laughs> I think that it's something that there's a lot of work to be done. It's something that needs to be talked about. So to answer the question you asked me like a half hour ago, um, <laughs> I think it's a balance of picking and choosing when to talk about this issue. Um, and when to, I definitely do need to start exploring things outside of this lawsuit. Um, because there is more to life than this lawsuit. Sure. It's, um, it is a journey, and that is just a chapter yes. in the journey. Right? And as far as where it's going, um, well, I've written some songs, and uh, it may or may not turn into a musical. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I performed at the Parkside Lounge, which I ran into you that night. I don't know if you caught any of the show. I did. I, I heard at least one song. It was good. So it was funny because my lawyer came, Um And I read from the book, and I performed some songs. And what's really funny was that when I was reading some of of the hardest things that I went through, when I was reading that out loud, people were dying laughing. So it was like almost like I lived this comedic tragedy or tragic comedy. So Tragedy plus time equals comedy. Yeah, especially like (laughs) here's... If you're comfortable up there talking about it, we assume you're okay talking about it. Um, so people are like dying laughing 
Which I could have never, like, when it was happening in 2014, I could have never imagined that I would get on a stage and tell this story and people would be rolling over. And it's, it's like, a, suddenly I got a one-woman show out of this. What happened? <laughs> yeah, and even my, my lawyer's like, yeah, man, like, I tell people about this lawsuit and people are like, you're lying. We don't believe you. Yeah. And then they look it well, up. I remember the first time you posted about this. And yes. it was just like, it was so raw and crazy. I was like, I couldn't. Rep- I had to look at it two, three times. Yeah, yeah. to really wrap my brain around it, and because it was just like, okay, hey, I need, uh, I need money. I'm doing another yeah. crowdfunding thing. I'm like crowdfunding. Everyone's crowdfunding. What, what little problem do you, <laughs> in your life do you have uh, the inability to, to, you know, ha, ha, what, what? And so it was like, come on, Colette, you're better than that. And then I read it, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I was like. This is, and then it's like, I, I was like, I want to tell the world about this, but yeah. they're going to react to it even more incredulously. Like, cause it's like, uh, and the, cause they don't know you. They're like, right. oh, cause they're just going to jump to the conclusion that this woman is nuts. I'm and like, I know did. you and I know you're yeah. not nuts. And I still was like, what is yeah. going Like, if I didn't know you, I would, I would go, this can't be real because I, because I did know you. I'm like, oh, this poor woman. There and it's like, how how do I even help you? There, uh, you know, it's like because it's like yeah. nothing I can say or do in this moment is gonna is gonna yeah. reverse this course of this thing. And even when it's all said and done, it's never gonna go away. It'll never go away. But you have to um, at some point when you lose everything, which I did lose everything for a while. Like you said, you just gotta roll with it. If if you lose everything, there's something to be gained somewhere else. And what I did gain when I became a published author, which I never thought that would have happened, and I became a lawsuit reform activist. And like, who would have thought when I was like slinging beers at the Parkside Lounge, you know? Yeah, you're going to be in Albany one day with legislation. Yes, we don't we don't even know who we really are until you know pressure until, until shit the pressure hits moves. the fan. It's really, and then you have to dig in. And what's funny is that some people actually thought I was doing it for the publicity. I'm like, no, 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 no. you don't understand. I did not oh, ask for Oh, that this. would be brilliant, but no. Yes. <laughs> like, I did not ask for this publicity. Like, oh, press is good, right? It's always good, right? No, it's not. So I am developing more material, and we'll see. Maybe it'll become a one-woman show. I am working on a new album. Um How's the book? How's the book doing? I ask it's, only because I mentioned it. It's course. doing pretty good, actually. <laughs> you know, it goes through little phases. There'll be like a little spurt of sales. Then it'll get quiet. Then there'll be like another little spurt of sales. Um, I'm going to be working on a second edition. So we are this version of it. This is even though people did buy it in the United States. This is technically she's holding the book up. We're not on camera, oh, yeah. so they can't see. We're holding it up. Uh, her is, picture's on the cover. She looks lovely. This is technically the UK version. Um, so I am working on a second edition, which will ideally come out at the same time as the album. And if I do decide to develop it more into a one-woman show or an actual musical, um, that'll all come out together. And uh, also, I'm taking it to TV. So I have a couple of TV appearances coming up talking about... Marvelous. Just my life <laughs> and what I've been through. <laughs> it's like you feel weird being happy for her, but it's like, well, that's, you know, you take the good with the bad, you know? Yeah. Roll with it. You got to roll with it. And um, like I said, I think, it's a, I think it's an important story. I think it's a story everyone should hear. One, 
because the state of our legal system is seriously fucked and what happened to me could happen to anybody. And if it did happen to somebody else, I would want them to be prepared. I would want them to know that there's resources. You know, I didn't know that I could go to legal aid first or that I could get a court-appointed lawyer. I didn't know these things. I had to go out there and research it. So hopefully if someone hears my story and, God forbid, finds themselves in the same position, hopefully they can take some knowledge from what happened to me. And then again, you know, the the fight that we have about the way women are treated in the media, um, my message that I want to get out there is that nobody should buy into it. It's all bullshit. Let's demonetize that shit. Shut it down. It's it's over. You know. Yeah. There's no excuse for that for that headline yeah, even li- being little, a thing. Little little incremental changes one yeah. way or another don't really fundamentally change a broken system. Exactly. So, but a lot of little incremental changes do. There we go. Right. So right. I'll stop. I'll stop talking no, about no, no, it. Right. I don't want you to happening. stop talking. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is good. No, we're at we're in a place where uh, uh, we can we can leave that uh, to rest for a moment. And yeah. uh, uh, normally, um, I call this podcast uh, "Between Two Jobs," yes. and I get people to talk about the worst job that they've ever had. But oh. we just heard your. I don't think that anything can top. Yeah. This job, yeah. this paint cover. Yeah, it was a job that cost me $15,000 in my entire So is there any other career. thing, job, that you ever had to take, you know, between gigs that you never thought Ooh. you'd have to do or, like, something you... So many. Well, um, I pick had one. Pick to one that might up. be fun to... A story that might be fun to hear. So I had to dress up as a Powerade bottle <laughs> and, hand, <laughs> and hand out samples of Powerade um Where on the streets of new york city um at aster aster place how long how long how for how long how many days how many hours um it was only one day what well it was like no actually we got there late at night because they had to spray paint like 150 <laughs> models models i put in quotes spray paint the models i like this spray tans what are we talking about here so they 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 body spray you so that you actually look like a powerade bottle you have the oh powerade design on you and so we handed out the powerade so it's not a suit it's actually like yeah we body were paint. we i was in this like so uh, little tank top revealing. and um like like body tight shorts they totally me. sexualized because I think well, sex anytime I think Powerade. You know what though? After they put the Powerade on you, like you you don't look that sexy. Oh, like you look like okay. a Powerade bottle. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> like, like Ooh, maybe it was really sexy go for before. Some Powerade right now. But you know what's funny is that um, I met there was this guy who was a blue Powerade bottle. <laughs> The blue power Avenger. And we got along really well, and we ended up, like, um, in a relationship for three years. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he's, like, a famous personal trainer now. Oh, my god! On YouTube. <laughs> so, I mean. What does that, what does that tell you? That, uh, you know, sometimes uh, just get through it. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I actually think that. Network. <laughs> Part of the richness of being a performer in New York City, I think, is some of those shitty survival jobs you do. Like, that's where you form some of the best bonds. Certainly. You know, like, I look back on my career and I, I've had a lot, like, despite the pink cover band thing, um, 
I've had a decent amount of success in the music industry, and I'm really grateful for that. But some of my favorite times in the city, when I was working some shitty job that I hated, and with my posse, you know, with my with work your, with posse, where we're like, this with place sucks, but we have each other. Yeah. And like, and you know, sometimes you don't see those people for years, then you bump into them. And like, to me, that takes you right back. It, it, that's some of the richest parts of being a performer in New York City. So I wouldn't trade anything any you ever of have that. to go through with somebody. You always go back to that moment of love, of struggle. Absolutely. That we have. And I think that, like, to you, you kind of need that struggle a little bit. You, I think, if you just came, I think if we just came to New York, right, and it was smooth sailing, and we were just booking, booking, yes. booking all the time, and there was playing no in all the coaster, pink cover bands, playing in all the pink cover bands, selling out all the state fairs and farmers markets, <laughs> <laughs> and college cafeterias. I think if that struggle wasn't there, I don't think we would be as enchanted by the arts i think we like the struggle i i think it's just i do i do i think yeah. fix makes you feel uh grounded and uh like i never ever want anything handed to me if it's too easy all the time it's like boring yeah you know if you're not challenging yourself it does it does get yeah. boring and you feel um as a creative person you feel unfulfilled absolutely you, you need that range of emotion. If you're just doing the same thing day in and day out, and it just becomes routine, and then you're not really challenging. If you're not challenging yourself, you're not, a, you're not discovering things about yourself. Exactly. And then you don't have anything to pull from for your art. That's Although, can true. I tell you about one really fun survival job Please. I did? So I was like the queen of Craigslist. <laughs> I've done so much stuff on Craigslist. I got to be a game show tester. So I'd go, I don't know if you've. That's great. I love so it. I got like 50 bucks. Um, it was the reboot of the $10,000 pyramid. You know that show? Yeah. So it was the reboot. They wanted to test out the questions on people. And I was like acing them, right? Had I been on the actual show, I would have won a quarter of a million dollars. But I was the tester. But still, I felt like I was victorious because I was like, I just got 50 bucks in cash to do something that was a blast to like test out. So that that was a really fun, fun survival gig that I nice, did. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I think we should wrap it up. I want to say right. thank you to Brian Neris. Thank you, Once Brian Neris. Uh, being our devoted sound guy. Uh, Colette McLafferty, thank you for your time and yeah. your story and your energy. It's very inspiring. Do you want me to very briefly read your mention? Before? Yes. Uh, one, well, before you do that, again, okay. the book is called Confessions of a Bad, Ugly Singer. Look out for it. the second edition soon. And now, what am I quoted in there as saying? Okay, so in the book Confessions of a Bad, Ugly Singer, Adam makes a appearance on page 68, paragraph 3. Of edition 1. Of edition 1. <laughs> Suddenly, a photo of Pink in a long red dress at the Grammys broke up the succession of the NY Post photos on my Facebook page. It was Time Magazine. WTF! The post came from Adam Murphy, an actor and writer I had worked with on Return to Newcomb High. This is my friend Colette McLafferty. Let's hear it for no bad press. That's your, <laughs> and I'm sorry that I forgot the P. That's all right. So in the second edition, the P will be there. The P is just so you can find me on the internet. Oh, fair. That's okay, now some people's phones are beeping, so it is time it's to wrap time it up. It's time to wrap it up. I always <laughs> want to ask you what the P stood for. Uh, it's just Paul. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> now I know. So stereotypically Irish, Peter, yes. Paul, or Patrick. It had to be one of the three. The three Irish wise men. All right, we're going to go. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Peace.